Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. For connectors, cables, and more, call 920-435-2973 or visit pl-259.com. And by ICOM. Heard it? Worked it? Logged it. Visit www.icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information about ICOM radios. It's Ham Radio. Good evening, everyone. It's Ham Talk Live, episode number 133, the Baker Island D-Expedition Wrap-Up, recorded live on Thursday, September 20th, 2018. I'm your host, Neil Rapp, WB9VPG. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ham Talk Live. Tonight, we're joined by Don Greenbaum, N1DG, and we'll take your calls live in a few minutes. Last week here on the show, Lee Height, K-H-C-L-I, was here from the National Voice of America Museum of Broadcasting talking about the new U.S. Coast Guard Courier exhibit uh, at the Voice of America Museum. So if you missed out on that, just go on over to hamtalklive.com or your favorite podcast app like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeart Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, or SoundCloud, or or even go over to YouTube, and you can uh, check that out. So uh, get your questions ready to go. We'll talk a little DXing tonight. After a little interview, you can give us a call. The phone number is 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261, so you can have that number ready. It's not time to call yet, but... It will be soon. So, again, that number is 812-638-4261. Or you can Skype us if you're into the, the Skype thing. You can give us a call on there. We're Ham Talk Live on Skype. Or you can tweet us uh, if you'd rather type instead of talk. Uh, our Twitter handle is at Ham Talk Live. So I'll be back with Don right after this word from Tower Electronics right here on Ham Talk Live. Hey, PL259s? Anywhere? No, I haven't. Come on, kids. Let's go. There's just one place to go for all of your connector needs. Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. A giant warehouse of connectors and adapters for every occasion. Thousands to choose from in every shape, size, and color. And they have antennas, soldering supplies, cables, meters, and more. Or where do you go if you want to buy a connector at a fraction of retail cost? Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. And this weekend only, take advantage of our special liquidation sale. 
Buy nine solder tight PL 259s. Get the tenth one for just one penny. One penny, penny. They make great Christmas presents. And what better way to say I love you than with the gift of a PL 259? Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics. Hi, I'm Scott Cole, KB9AMM, president of Tower Electronics. I like the company so much that I bought it. Tower Electronics, coming to a ham fest near you or online at pl-259.com. And we're in the yellow pages under Amateur Radio Connectors. My, wherever did you get that lovely PL-259? Tower Electronics, pl-259.com or call 920-435-2973. Do we sell PL-259 connectors? Right now, you could be sitting on a beach, sipping a drink with an umbrella in it, and enjoying the good life. But instead, you've decided to listen to Ham Talk Live. So we thank you. And now here's Neil Rapp with more of the show. Thanks, as always, to Scott and Jill at Tower Electronics for sponsoring the show again tonight. They help bring you Ham Talk Live each and every week, all the way from the beginning. And coming up, they'll be in Belton, Texas on October 5th and 6th. And then they'll be in Greenville, Tennessee, October 20th. <clears throat> Excuse me, or you can visit pl-259.com anytime and pick up your PL-259. So... Don't forget about that. Well, uh, Don Greenbaum is back with us tonight in 1DG. He was licensed in 1962 and has operated from several remote locations and has been the pilot, webmaster, and QSL manager for several de-expeditions. He's a member of ARRL, DDXA, and YCCC, and he's the treasurer of NCDXF and one of the founders of CW Ops. And Don resides in Duxbury, Massachusetts and is a 2006 inductee into the CQDX Hall of Fame. And he's back and a whole lot cooler than he was the last time I talked to him. So, Don, welcome back. Thanks, Neil. It's always fun being here. Well, you're back home now, and like I said, much cooler because it was it was a hot one. The logs are done. Uh, you were on the show uh, by sat phone here Um from the island live and you were just getting started on all the operations uh, on the island and congratulations to you and the team on uh, enduring the heat and enduring everything and um, I saw my confirmation on uh, logbook of the world pretty soon after it was over and I uh, just got some uh, QSL cards for uh, here and for school uh, here um, not long ago. So tell us how all those QSL requests are going from the trip. Okay. Well, first, I noticed this morning that it's 50 degrees cooler here this morning than wow. it was when we talked on Baker. Um, so we've had about 4,000 people request cards on OQRS and via direct. Uh, the cards came out. We got them from the printer about two weeks ago. They're being processed about 100 a day. Uh, there's about 1,700 cards that have gone out in the mail, so we're about halfway through the backlog. 
uh, LOTW for everybody who donated, we uploaded those uh, the day I got home uh, from Fiji. And to date, we've uploaded 29,000 QSOs because everybody that orders an OQRS QSL, I also upload those QSOs. So we have about 29,000 of our 69,000, or roughly 40%, have gone up to uh, LOTW. That's why you saw yours. uh, And congratulations on your new one. Yeah, it was. It was an all-time new one, and... uh and boy, I didn't think I was going to get it because every time I listened, I could hear absolutely nothing and decided to give this uh, FT8 thing a try. And uh, uh, the first night it didn't work, but uh, the second night it, it finally did. So uh, we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But it uh, sounds like uh, you're, you're making some headway on the... Uh, on the QSL front and, um, there, there's some good looking cards and, uh, I'm sure people will be, uh, anxiously awaiting those. Yeah. People like those four sided cards. Yeah. Yeah. They are, they are really, really nice. So I was glad to, uh, to see those in the mailbox the other day. Well, tell us a little bit about the, the journey over there. Uh, uh, you know, I, fortunately it was rather uneventful, but, uh, you had a, a cool uh, pass by that, that I know you want to talk about and um, some of the adventures of, of getting there and back. So, so tell us a little bit about the trip. Okay. Well, because we were going into a nature reserve, Fish and Wildlife said we had to have our boat inspected at a U.S. port. The nearest one, nearest being 1,100 nautical miles, was American Samoa. And if you draw a map between American Samoa and Baker Island, you pass several other DXCC countries, but more importantly, you pass right by something called Nicomororo Island, which is part of Kiribati. And that is where most people now believe Amelia Earhart Uh, landed and when we were planning our trip the boat's called the Naya and Rob Barrow the captain has been searching with a group called Tigger for Amelia Earhart for close to 20 years and they've been to all these islands and that's what made our voyage so uneventful because they've been in this area many times. It's a ship that's been out at sea for, I think, 15 years now. So quite experienced, uh, quite capable. And so a couple of days out on this six-day voyage, we were literally within hundreds of feet of Nicomororo. And... The captain was hoping we could stop and dive, but when he asked uh, Kiribati for permission, because we were entering their waters, of course, they said, yeah, that's great. Come by and pick us up because we want to be there if you find anything. And, of course, that would have delayed us from reaching Baker by days and days. So, But they pointed out to us where they think the uh, airplane lies off the beach, and that was really neat. Uh, we... 
got to Baker, as you said, without any issues. Uh, Ten days at Baker, uh, 69,000 CUSOs, extreme heat. Uh, we hightailed it out of there because of an approaching storm, which made the seas a little rough going back to Fiji. And the return to Fiji was another 1,300 nautical miles. So the Naya tooled around with us uh, 2,400 nautical miles. Uh, no body got injured getting on and off uh, over the reef. We didn't lose any gear. None of the radios failed. Uh, the thing I'll always remember about the voyage were the sunsets, the amazing colors in the sky um, every evening. Uh, and we had fairly clear sailing, so we had a beautiful sunset every night. Fijians are very musical, so every night somebody was playing the banjo or guitar and singing. It it, it was quite a nice trip Uh and we made lots of cues, which is always fun on a de-expedition. Well, that's what you want to hear. You, you don't want the drama, and it sounds like this one was pretty drama-free, and I'm sure you're, you're very, very happy about that. So let's talk about those cues. Um, you know, early on, I know, just kind of watching the, the uh, social media and watching some of the posts and things, there was some disappointment with uh, band conditions and uh, seemed like you guys were on FT8 a whole lot more than we were um, expecting. And, and you were able to compensate for some of those band conditions with that. So tell us how FT8 changed this expedition and maybe future de-expeditions and why you ended up using it so much. Okay, well, we had eight stations. FT8 was used on two of them. So it it was a quarter, digital was a quarter of our available radios. And interestingly enough, FT8 was 24% of our cues. But the bottom line is CW was 40%. Of our QSOs. Uh, Sideband was about 27. So uh, FT8 didn't detract, it added. I'm a firm believer that if we did not use FT8, we would have made about 10 to 12,000 less QSOs. We hadn't planned it to be that way. Uh, we were planning a lot more RIDI, but FT8 is a digital mode, and FT8 excels uh, for weak signals, and we went at the bottom of the cycle. It took us three years to get licensed, uh, permitted to go. By the time we got the permit with the window they gave us, it was it was go at the bottom of the cycle. We made all 1,700 cues on top band. 90% of those were CW. Uh, so FT8 was the third most successful mode, but 900 people, and you're one of them, made one queue on one band with the Baker Island de-expedition, and that one queue was FT8, and when we got back, there was email after email 
saying exactly what you just said, Neil. They didn't expect the QSO. Um, a third of those uniques were in Europe with stations of modest um, facilities. So FT8 proved the distance, the, the, the difference in you making a queue or not um, for 900 people. And we had 18,000 uniques because we stayed only on 20 meters with two of our eight radios. There was some points during the day when we had three stations on 20 meters, CW, digital, or FT8, or CW, uh, or sideband. So we were taking advantage of our best band and putting the weak ones in the log with FT8. Uh, Where is this going? We discovered after a day or so that one operator could be in the digital tent, which became known as the digital palace, <laughs> and using the foxhound mode could operate two radios just by going backwards and forwards and filling the queue and choosing stations to work. And we had some rates of 300 an hour. We started FT8 two days into the expedition, uh, so we might have been able to do more. You asked where this is going. So imagine this. You could put three radios on a multiplexer and operate three different bands. One operator could theoretically operate three radios with one antenna. Imagine the footprint you save. Imagine the resources you save um, and the efficiency of maybe 400 cues an hour with one wow. operator. Um, I think somebody's going to do that. Um, and I see FTA um, making a lot more six-meter cues possible in the future and making a lot more, bringing a lot more DXers into the hobby because you've heard this. Lots of people say, oh, I can't work DX, especially a top 10. Now, all of a sudden, here's a shot. Yep. Yeah. And I, I was planning on running into uh, to school and, and use the the stepper and, and everything and the amplifier, and, and, and that just didn't, time into my schedule and so i was stuck at home um on a, an offsetter fed dipole that's kind of you know strangely arranged because of uh, i live on a hill and so it's kind of sloped into the hill a little bit and running 150 watts and and you worked the number <laughs> and five it. most wanted dxn <laughs> yeah worked it um, and, uh, you know, was able to, uh, to, to get it on, on FT8 and I kept going over to, to phone, which is kind of my preferred way and heard nothing. I went over to CW and, and was shaking because there was a time when I did 20 words a minute, but that was several decades ago. And, uh, I thought. Okay, I'll I'll do CW if I have to, 
couldn't hear it, could not, could not pull it out at all. And so when I went to FT eight and all of a sudden I, I saw it come up, I was, I was amazed and it, it took a while, but, uh, but it worked. And, and I think if, like you said, if you think you can triplex that and, and get three bands on f- one antenna, the resources that you could save and, um, you know, those kinds of rates, I, I, I think somebody, I'm like you, somebody's going to try that. Uh, we're planning it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I would too. Uh, so, um, you know, that may be how a lot of people were able to get the, uh, the, um, first timers, you know, uh, get the all time new one. Uh, but, uh, I, I'm, I'm interesting or interested to hear that, um, it was only 25%, but, uh, it also may be that that was, uh, all that we could hear back here in the States too. Uh, so that, that may have, uh, no, I think, that a I bit. think it was our concentration yeah. of, uh, six radios on other modes. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Well, let's uh, let's talk about finances here for a minute. This is no small feat, and and you've uh, you've done a great job with financing, and 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 you are the man when it comes to uh, financing D expeditions. And uh, in fact, uh, there's an article in this month's QST about financing D expeditions, and. And by the way, Don probably won't say it, but but you know you can go in there and vote for the cover plaque award, and and, and Don's one of the choices here, so so you might want to go vote for Don. But um, how did you do with uh, raising money before the trip? Where did it come from, and then uh, how did that go uh, during the trip and after? The way to raise money for a D expedition is from clubs and foundations. Uh, the team put up half the money. The budget for this operation was almost $470,000. Uh, the boat was expensive. The shipping was expensive. We had to buy the tents. Uh, there were a lot, of, a lot of things to put together over the year to make this possible. So half the money came from... The team, before we left, another 35% of the pre-departure expenses came from clubs and foundations. NCDXF uh, was our biggest financier at $75,000. The bulk of the money, excluding the team, because that would really skew the numbers, um, came from North America. 77% of our funding came from North America, which made less than half of the queues, by the way. Um, Where did it come from? The team, 49%. Foundations and clubs, 24%. And individuals, mostly after we got back, um, people like to make sure they're in the log before they pay. Uh, And so OQRS brought in about a quarter of the budget after the fact, and we still had expenses uh, after we got home, of course. Um, How do you raise money? We did 
semi-bi-weekly press releases. We did daily releases uh, while we were on the island. Keep people informed, give them something to look forward to, uh, post pictures, uh, and keep begging for money. Uh, we're still not fully paid uh, for this trip, but uh, I believe with OQRS and when people start hearing that the cards are beginning to go out, uh, we'll get there. Very good, and and even sneak in a, a phone call with Ham Talk Live while you're there. So we appreciate that uh, tremendously. It was uh, good to hear from you over there, and uh, and that was uh, a highlight here. So um, we appreciate that. All right, well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll give you a chance to call in and ask some questions with Don and. We'll talk a little more about the Baker Island de-expedition right after this word from ICOM America right here on Ham Talk Live. Heard it? Worked it? Logged it? It's time to get the transceiver that is best suited for your lifestyle. ICOM offers a variety of high-performance and innovative products. See how you can make the most out of contest season with one of these transceivers. First, the ICOM IC7851, the competitive edge you've been looking for. Raise the bar and hear what others cannot with this flagship HF and 50 MHz transceiver. It has reciprocal mixing dynamic range, crystal clear LO design, a spectrum scope, dual receivers, and digital voice recorder. The ICOM IC7610 is the SDR every ham wants and just in time for contesting season. This high-performance SDR has the ability to pick out the faintest of signals, even in the presence of stronger adjacent ones. The new ICOM IC7610 is a direct sampling software-defined radio that will change the world's definition of an SDR transceiver. Featuring RF direct sampling system, 110 dB RMDR, independent dual receiver, and dual digicel. And then the ICOM IC7300 is changing the way entry-level HF is designed. This high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design will far exceed your expectations. With RF direct sampling, 15 discrete bandpass filters, a large 4.3-inch color touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and an SD memory card slot. Be sure to visit icomamerica.com amateur for more information on ICOM radio. Join the conversation. Call us on voice with Skype at Ham Talk Live or give us a call at 812 Net Ham 1. That's 812 638 4261. Now, here's more Ham Talk Live. Oh, yeah. You're talking ham radio, baby. You're listening to Ham Talk Live with Neil Rapp. Thanks again to ICOM America for supporting Ham Talk Live. We're on the air every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time right here at HamTalkLive.com. And be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now it's time for your calls. If you have a question for Don, give us a call. Phone number again, 812-NET-HAM-1, 812-638. 4261, or you can Skype us or tweet us if you like it. 
Ham Talk Live on both of those. And uh, you can find us there. And uh, got a note here from uh, Jill Combs listening in Gaylord, Michigan tonight. So thanks for tuning in on the road there. And uh, Don, you, you had a chance to uh, check out some some wildlife while you were there. Some I have to tell this story. I, I, I was in Florida this summer and and saw a guy walking his his pet and, and we, we looked down and it was a tortoise. This guy was just walking down the sidewalk of Cocoa Beach, walking his tortoise. So so you never know where you're going to see this wildlife. So, so what all did you did you run into while you were away? The island has, being a bird sanctuary, has anywhere between seven and eleven million birds. We're talking about an island a mile and a half by a mile. Um. It's loud, it's noisy. When the wind stops, there's an incredible smell um, from the guano, and it was mined as a guano island in the 1800s, 1857 to be exact. Before we even left the boat the first morning, there were tortoises swimming around. Each day as we went over the reef, um, there were skates and rays swimming around the boat. Um, there were hundreds of thousands hermit crabs that would crawl around, come into the tent, and bother uh, bother us at night. During the day, they went in the uh, lighthouse and totally filled it up to get out of the sun. There are no trees on Baker Island, um, only some scrub brush, and um, so we saw hermit crabs, eight or ten different types of birds, including uh, red-tailed tropic birds, uh, sooty terns, there were more sooty terns than anything else, um, Frigate birds, which live in trees, but on Baker Island, where there aren't any, they live on these little, uh, any hill they can find, even if it's only a foot high. Um, and mast boobies and brown boobies and that sort of thing. But the water was teeming with porpoises, and when we left, um, they call it the uh, pod of Baker Island bottlenose dolphins. They just led the way. You know how you see dolphins in front of the boat? They just uh, kept coming up and, and breaching and diving back in. So lots of wildlife, but there's also a lot of history on Baker Island. Um, in the mid-1800s, it was a guano camp. Um, it was discovered by whalers. Um, the captain of the ship was named Baker. Um the boat was the Howlands, and so now you know where Baker and Howland came from. And uh, there are still the ruins of the settlement. Um, in the 1930s, the Hawaiians tried to colonize it. That didn't go well. Uh, 
in fact, uh, they finally gave up after the Japanese bombed it on the way back from Pearl Harbor. During the war, they built a landing strip there, and the military was there, and you can see uh, a lot of rotting uh, um, vehicles and landing craft. There are graves there of the couple of Hawaiians who died and military people. And you can still see where the defensive battlements were built into the coral. Um, that, in a nutshell, plus 120 degrees is Baker Island. <laughs> 812-638-4261 is the phone number. If you'd like to call in and ask a question, please uh, do so now. We'd uh, love to hear from you tonight. Now, you mentioned the lighthouse, and we had talked a little bit about, or are you going to try to use that in any way? Were you able to use that in any way? Uh, no, that was built uh, 80 or so years ago. Um, it was way too small, um, and it was occupied. <laughs> <laughs> there were also With a few thousand of your friends. Right. There was a Loran site there in the 1950s, and there are 420-odd tall poles, but that was off-limits, too, because, A, who wants to climb a 70-year-old wooden pole, and, B, it's a historical site, so we put up antennas on the beach. Sounds like a, a good plan there. 812-638-4261 is the phone number to call if you have a question about the Baker Island de-expedition. So you you mentioned that um, you know there were there were all these wildlife uh, sanctuaries and, and for the birds. Did, did, did at any time did you think about? renaming it to uh to hitchcock island or was, there's a video was that on porpoise <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Neil, yes, there's bad. a video there's a video uh <laughs> on our website of these birds and when i show it at uh hamventions and whatever it's right out of the movie I mean, you can't see the sky. That's how many birds were flying around there at times. You know, every morning they went out for their food. And every afternoon they came back. And I don't think we have one picture, including in the tents, where there isn't some animal, whether it be a <laughs> hermit crab at your feet or a bird uh, flying by. Well, sounds like a, an interesting place. 812-638-4261. If you have a question for Don in one DG with the Baker Island D expedition. So I, I, I probably know the answer to this before I even ask it, but I'll go ahead and ask it. So what's next? <laughs> you know, Funny thing, we keep going to these top 10 countries, and there's still 10 in the top 10. So yep. there's, there's a bunch there's of rare ones there. out there, and a bunch of those are still in the Pacific. 
Um, we're looking at a couple, but you know, it takes about a year to unwind from one of these. Um, then it might take a year or two to get permission to go to one of the one or fundraise or even figure out which one you want to go to. I don't know where we're going next. Okay. Well, we've got a caller on the line, so let's see what uh, question we have here for Don in one DG. Good evening. Hello, you're on the air. Hello. Okay, I guess they're not on the air. Eight one two six three eight. Four two six one is the phone number to call if uh, you'd like to ask a question about this. And yeah, it's, it's funny how how they're they're you know the these these top ten lists they they don't get any shorter. So I'm sure you've got uh, got something in the works, but uh, we'll we'll wait to hear about that. Um, so I'll ask you the next question that you may or not may or may not want to answer cold or hot oh having been down to uh the uh southern oceans and the bad weather and the bad seas there's something nice about the calm pacific um that you know, we this group's been to Midway and Wake, um, Fiji and Pongo Pongo, and of course Baker. Now, um, I think I'm sticking to the uh, mid latitudes for a while. <laughs> All right, I think we've got a call on the line now, so let's see if we do. Who's this? Hello. And once again, we don't have a call. So, all right. Don't know what's going on with that. But we'll hang around here for a few minutes. If you want to chime in, it's 812-638-4261. So, tell us a little bit about how you went about setting up all this equipment. You know, you, you mentioned, you know, you had some... Um, poles there but you, you really couldn't use those and you just set everything up on the beach how do you how do you get your antennas uh to go up on the beachfront a lot of what we did was driven by our special use permit they said we couldn't go inland we had to be on the beach which actually given that they also said we were limited to verticals and 43 foot verticals at that the only way to make a vertical play is in the salt water. So we got right down to the water line um, just above the high water, the high tide mark. Uh, we had five antennas at the CW tent, which is three quarters of a mile from the digital tent, and the sideband tent was right in the middle. So we had stepper verticals. We had homebrew verticals that were uh, two elements. We put 
the 160 antenna all the way at the north of the island. Um, you throw a, an anchor in the ground, and since it was only 43 feet, it's not that hard to walk up and guy it. All the guy wires had to have flags on them, um, so we wouldn't harm any wildlife, which we did not. Um, we set up separate antennas down uh, at each of the other two operating tents. We had a 900 megahertz link back to the boat. We were playing with the idea of some of the operators because we were lim we had more operators than could stay on the island overnight. So we were going to try to see about remote operation from the boat. Uh, there was a lot of multipath uh, distortion as the boat would rock, so remote never happened. But we had three antennas at the digital tent. We had five at the sideband, and we had actually seven, including the receive antennas up at the CW tent. So we got to the island. We set up the first thing, shelter, brought water on, food, generators. That was the first day, and in 120 degrees, that's enough. We all went back to the boat, recovered from the harsh environment. Day two, we got up uh, all the CW antennas and a couple of the sideband antennas. They say it never rains on Baker, but that night a squall came through and knocked down a couple of those antennas. But after two full days, we were on the air. The third day, everything else went up, and we had eight stations. Um it took us over two days to put everything up, um, but when we got word a storm was coming, it took about 12 hours to take everything down and bug out. Okay, very good. And then rigs, what did you uh, what did you end up with there, and, and uh, any any changes that you think you might make uh, for for that unknown next time? <laughs> we had eight generators. We had eight radios, eight linears. Uh, the radios were all lent to us by Elecraft. They were the K3S. We had KPA 500s. We had one homebrew linear for 160 that AA7JV built. That was two kilowatts. Um, but everything else was 500 watts. Um, they worked fine. It was the conditions that limited us, not the power. We... Uh, had weather port tents, as I mentioned, these were uh, sturdy, and um, we had four of them. We had four sleeping tents in addition to that um, from REI. They were these big Agnes tents, they call them. Uh, plus, we had this skiff going back and forth bringing us food. Uh, twice a day, they brought us food. Uh, breakfast, we made ourselves mostly cereal or scrambled eggs. Um And the usual paraphernalia you need, like, you know, desks, chairs, lights, uh, fire extinguishers, um, protective burns under the generators, 5,800 pounds of gear. Wow. And it all has to go out there on the island, and it all has to come back, and, and it did. And so now uh, we can look forward to hearing uh, what the future may bring. So... 
congratulations on a uh, successful event and remind everyone where they can find the uh, the bird video and uh, donate to the cause and uh, how to uh, do the OQRS thing to get those cards in the mail. So QSLs are on clublog.org. Um, the baker2018.net is our main website. Um, from there, you can see pictures and links to video. If you Google uh, Vimeo 9V1YC, there's a two-minute little introductory video that James did. Um, all our sponsors are on the website. All our equipment sponsors, um, in addition to Elecraft, uh, antennas were from Stepper. The DX Engineering folks gave us coax and connectors and power supplies, anything we wanted. Uh, Tim Duffy uh, just said, where do I ship it? We had antenna tuners from Rig Expert, thanks to them. Um, all this stuff, uh, Heil headsets. Um, Bob Heil made sure each operator had his own uh, Pro 7. And, uh, God, I hope I haven't forgotten anybody, but uh, 5,800 pounds of gear. There's probably someone in there I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you can check that out. And, uh, again, club log for the OQRS. You can... Uh, request the qsl card if you want to get one of those uh, print qsl cards and we would uh, of course appreciate some uh support to to help finish off uh paying for this big trip so don thank you so much uh for coming back to uh tell us how it all went and when you get the next one figured out let us know we'd we'd love to have you back oh thank you it's always fun neil thank you all right. Well, that's a wrap for this week's edition of Ham Talk Live. Thanks to my guest, Don Greenbaum, N1DG, and everybody out there in cyberspace for listening and calling in. And I invite you back next Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Christian Kudnick, K0STH, is going to be back. And uh, we're going to talk about the 100 Watts and a Wire Fallout, the third edition of the fallout. So, uh, make sure you're here, uh, call in and, and harass Christian a little bit and, and, and talk about fallout getting ready for just some, some changes in the weather. Hopefully, uh, we, we're, we're pretty warm here today. Uh, heat index up in the triple digits, but, uh, I think we said a 30 degree cool down tomorrow. So maybe that cooler weather's around the corner. So, um, Make sure you you check out the uh, 100 Watson Wire Fallout, and Christian will be here uh, to talk about it and, and who knows what else uh, next week right here at hamtalklive.com. And if you're interested in our upcoming guests, that's the place to go. Just click on the show schedule link at hamtalklive.com and um, you'll find that out. Uh, also, made some progress on the T-shirts for those of you kind of following along on the uh satellite uh themed limited edition t-shirts i've got the uh, order form almost ready to go online and um 
think we've got a, a printer and everything worked out for that. So look for that soon. Uh, it'll be in the next uh, week or two. We'll announce all the details uh, and start taking orders for those. And if you like AmTalk Live, please uh, consider listing uh, listing us uh, in a review. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Uh, that just helps others find us faster. So thanks for that. So for now, this is Neil Rapp, WB9VPG, saying 7375, and may the good DX be yours. Pow, 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 pow,